and uh, hold on a second. Design. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up and have you start over again. I'm sorry. We we did not go live. I don't think we're gonna try this again. I apologize. Occasionally, I have goofs. I think I we're live now. Uh, this is Danny Simmons joining us today with 20 pages a week. We are reading all the way through the Bible, and most of it we're getting on video. And we're appreciative for everybody's patience. We are discussing Second Chronicles, the last quarter, last lesson of the last quarter. Danny's here from Austin, Texas. Thank you, and appreciate your patience, Danny. Yes, sir. All right, great. Uh, you were giving me first impressions uh, regarding the 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 message that the prophet had given to Asa, if, if I remember right. Could you go over that? That's right. Yeah, Second Chronicles sixteen nine is where that passage is found, and, and it says. Uh, Hanani tells Asa, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And uh, for us as Christians, you know, looking at things that are happening today, uh, as you had commented earlier, he's the he's the Lord of all of all things. He's the Lord of the universe and the heavens. And um, his eyes go to and fro throughout the whole earth. A very interesting picture of God that he is diligently seeking someone whose heart is loyal. And I'll give you an example of that. I think King David, you know, when David stands before Goliath, that mm -hmm. we, we know because of the narrative that behind all of that, God is waiting for someone to step out in faith. And it is this young man who does that. So Second Chronicles 16, 9 just really pulls a lot of, of scripture and, and who, who God is, what he means to us, pulls it all together. And we, uh, Cyrus in his, declaration at the uh, at the beginning well the beginning of Ezra the end of of second chronicles uh, giving credit to the god of heaven which is a pretty typical way of the israelites referring to their god not unusual anyway i don't know exactly how much faith cyrus had maybe he just liked the idea of his name being called 100 years before his birth and, and decided to give credit to the god for that but at any rate the idea of of a pagan a, a foreigner at least in concept, acknowledging that this God is different, this God is sovereign over all things. I would like to think that would move Cyrus to faith, like occasionally it seems to have moved Nebuchadnezzar to faith. I don't think I can prove that from the text, but it certainly can can move us to faith. Not try to pull a Jonah, you know, get on a boat to Tarshish and, and try to escape jurisdiction somehow. This this God rules over everything. That's right. Exactly. So 2 Chronicles 16.9 is powerful. Absolutely. There's lots of stories in the text. Is there one that grabbed your attention this week? Yes, uh, Uzziah, King Uzziah stands out to me as, as I went through this and, and prepared for today. Um, 2 Chronicles 26 uh, starts off with the explanation of Uzziah and how he comes into power. He's 16 years old. He is under the care and the oversight of, of, a, of a faithful man, and he does well uh, during that time. He's blessed by the Lord in many, many ways. He becomes strong. His name becomes well-known. There's just, you know, everything good is happening to him. And then we get to verse 16 of Second Chronicles 26, and that, that ugly, ugly word, but when he was strong, you know, that, that, that we know from the text, and now, now there's a turn in his life. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his own destruction. And so there's there's that pride uh, that oftentimes causes every person to fall if they let it get the better of them. And Uzziah is an example of that. And, and just to see that he was mightily helped by the Lord, a uh, beautiful picture again of God 
helping those who serve him. Uzziah's an interesting contrast to the general theme of Second Chronicles, where it might not be unfair to say that the historian here, presumably Ezra, is putting a rather favorable light on the nation. You know, David's yes. transgressions are, are basically ignored. Solomon's transgressions are basically ignored. There, there are a lot of, of really negative stories that are avoided. And if I remember Second Kings right, it's mentioned that, although it's called Azariah in Second Kings, it's mentioned that he becomes a leper, but it, we don't get details on how, mm. and we get the negative story in Second Chronicles. But we get the negative story in Second Chronicles in the context of the temple. And, and I found it interesting. I went back to, the, to my concordance, and I just kind of looked at the word temple and, and watched the number of occurrences just explode when you hit First and Second Chronicles and Ezra. The temple is everywhere. And, and I that's think right. that's probably on purpose that Ezra is, the temple is built by the time Ezra shows up on the, on the scene, at least more or less built. But this is a new beginning for the, for the people. And as the temple is being built, the nation is being restored. And they do that partly construction-wise, but mostly they do it by going back to David and going back to Solomon and reminding the people, this is, this is supposed to be what the nation is all about. And Uzziah's transgression takes place in the temple. It's a violation of temple code. And, and God strikes him unclean right in the very court of the temple, which I, I find remarkable here. This is, it's <laughs> yes. not just a king sinning. It's a, God, it's a king sinning in the presence of God, it, not in the general presence of God, but in the specific presence of God, trying to assume a role that he's not entitled to. And, and the chronicler specifies God does not tolerate this. Even a king can't come into the presence of God in an inappropriate way and struck down with leprosy immediately. That's a, that's a powerful, powerful story. That, that's always been one that grabbed my attention. Yes, sir. That's a keen observation of yours to see how many times, or at least to look up how many times the temple's mentioned in Second Chronicles. And you, you made a point that I saw as well, and I noticed it when I, when I was reading about Rehoboam. You know, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. <clears throat> Rehoboam is spoken of very well in Second Chronicles, <clears throat> as opposed to Second Kings, where uh, we find out a little more about him and, and, and the challenges he faced and the difficulties he had and the mistakes he made. Uh, the Second Chronicles seems to just go right over some of that. And uh, it's interesting. It is. And, and Uzziah also is, and I mentioned this Wednesday night in our Bible study, he, he's right at the tail end of this. It's six rulers in a row that are struck down by God for one reason or another. When uh, everything seems to be going pretty good with Asa, it's going great with Jehoshaphat. And then Jehoshaphat marries Ahab's daughter to his son. And things go off the rails uh, almost immediately. <laughs> and and you wonder why such a, a marvelous king that the Bible says a lot of positive things about is so down on him for trying to bring the nation together. Clearly, this is a political alliance with the good guys, as we would generally term them. But God doesn't see Ahab that way. And and when Jehoram takes the throne, you know he is struck down by God and killed just in some kind of dramatic fashion. That the illness of the bowels that's probably too grotesque for uh -huh. uh, for Facebook. 
And and uh, after Jehoram comes Ahazai, who's killed by by Jehu in the purge, which somehow misses Athaliah, which is kind of a shame. She she gets to stay on the throne for a while after killing yeah. all of her kids, and and after her, uh, she's overthrown in the uh, in the uprising to put Joash on the throne, and and Joash looks like he's going to turn things around, another child king like Uzziah. But once his mentor Jehoiada dies, he goes off the rails. He kills Jehoiada's right. son, the prophet, uh, and Evolch. Eventually, he's victim of a palace coup also. His son gets on the throne. Uh, Amaziah looks like he's doing okay, but he loses it at the end. He gets assassinated. And uh, then Uzziah comes up here. He's struck down by God. Six rulers in a row. Some of them, generally speaking, pretty good kings, but uh, well short of God's expectations. And for about 150 years or so, this, this seems as disorganized as the northern tribes were. Yeah, but they, that's but they, right. But they still maintain the the line of David through all of this. All the political assassinations just wind up, and there's another one yet to come with Amon. Uh, they just put the the rifle king on the throne. They stay true to the to the line of David, like the northern kingdoms obviously didn't do. Right. Yeah, that's right. And in in the beginning, when you mentioned that the Lord seems to be displeased with this attempt to join all brethren, all tribes together. Uh, in the beginning, he when he speaks to the prophet, when he speaks to Jeroboam and the revelation to Rehoboam later in, in the next chapter, uh, the Lord says, this is my doing, the, the splitting up of these kingdoms. And, right. and, and he tells him, I have done this. It, you know, that, that phrase is repeated. So, so there's your problem. Uh, when men work contrary to what God is, has done and is doing, uh, it's not going to go well. And that's, uh, again, very good insight. But uh, that stays consistent throughout. You know, it, it's it's very popular. You know, ecumenicism is a is a very popular buzzword. I don't want to get too sidetracked with this, but simply getting everybody under the same roof, under the same umbrella, that's not necessarily a, a positive objective. God has always distinguished not just between his people and others, but also between his faithful people and his unfaithful people. And, and we don't necessarily treat the unfaithful servants of God the same way as we do foreigners. But that doesn't mean we pretend like everything's okay. And that's that's, right. that's Jehoshaphat's fatal flaw. He he brings down the nation, again, for the better part of a century, because he thinks that Ahab's not that bad. He goes to war with Ahab. He has the fleet of ships in Ezengeber that, that's wrecked that's right. because he's just determined to make this work, and God doesn't want it to work. That's right. Yeah, you're, those ships didn't didn't do as well as they thought they would, did they? And you know, I found myself thinking also, and this is a side note here, we're a little bit ahead of schedule, so I'll go and throw this out there. It says, and maybe you have some insight into this, I've always heard that Tarshish is likely in Spain. That mm. That's when Jonah gets on the boat to Tarshish, he goes to Spain. But the text says there in Second Chronicles that they built that fleet in Ezengeber, which is on the Gulf of Aqaba, on the, uh, on the other side of the Arabian Peninsula, or the, uh, of the Sinai Peninsula, rather. That's... That's a really bad route to go if you're going to go to Spain. I mean, you got to go all the way around Africa to to get to Spain that way. There's no way they would build a fleet in Ezean Giver to get to Tarshish if Tarshish is in Spain. It seems much more likely that it's more like India or, or someplace like that. Yes. I I have no idea. <laughs> well, I have very little idea. So <laughs> research project for everybody out there. Find out where Tarshish is. That's right. Anyway, uh, you mentioned one verse. Did you have a different verse that you wanted to touch on a little bit? Uh, the, the, another one that's 
that's just very interesting to me. You, you mentioned Jehoshaphat and, and who he is. His reforms are, are brilliant and amazing. Uh, what he says to those men, Second um, Chronicles 19, 7, he's, he's appointing judges in every city. And, it, and he says in verse 6, take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it. For this, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. And so he tells them, this is how you need to judge. Fear God constantly. Do, do not take uh, bribes. There should be no iniquity within you because that's who the Lord is. And that that's such a beautiful picture. And it's in line with, with the teachings of the New Testament, that we are to be children of God. We are to imitate God. Ephesians 5 and verse 1, as his dear children, uh, imitate him, be just like him. Peter says in 1 Peter, uh, be holy for I am holy. That's the commandment of God. And so we see this concept and yet Jehoshaphat is just beautifully orating this same truth. Um, and I tied in with him, the, the other part that it really, I mean, it makes me laugh. Is that Ahab, <clears throat> when they go to war, Ahab says, you dress up like a king. And I'll dress up like one of the normal guys, you know, <clears throat> he's got this elaborate plan, which men do, because he is not going to, that, that stinking prophet <laughs> said that he was, he was not coming home. And he said, I'm going to prove him wrong. You know, so he goes to all this length and Jehoshaphat cooperates with that. I would, I would say, mm. wait a minute, what's the plan? Exactly. I wear kingly robes and you wear, you don't, I, I'd have a real problem with that. But they both go out into battle as Ahab had designed. And he is struck by chance, it seems, a, a certain man fired an arrow and it hit him right in the weak part of his armor. And it's the Lord. Again, I, I go back to David, you know, this, this man, young man who's going to hurl a stone at a giant warrior. Uh, chances aren't good, but when God's involved, your chances are great. And so Ahab, uh, the prophecies fulfilled, he dies on the battlefield. It's amazing. It, it really is. You know, it's, being on, God doesn't require our help to accomplish his judgment. God's going to do just fine. This is not for his sake that we join up on his side. This is for our sake. That's we, right. we want to be on the right side of this kind of judge. If a judge can can kill Ahab with some random arrow, if, if he can intervene in this kind of way, it's in my best short-term interest and certainly long-term interest to be on the right side of this God, to, to not subject myself to his wrath. And, and that's going to require some difficult decisions. That's going to require listening to the prophet. We, we don't especially want to listen to the prophet. Ahab has a real, you know, the whole halting between two opinions that, that uh, <laughs> Elijah mentioned back in, in 1 Kings chapter, uh, 17, chapter 18, rather. That's right. Ahab has a bit of that himself. You know, for all of his his bluster and all of his rejection of Elijah and threatening him to kill him, he could purge his court of prophets of Jehovah if he wanted to. He doesn't do right. that. He could get rid right. of Micah if he wanted to. He doesn't do that. He listens to him, and clearly he's afraid of him. He's afraid of what, like you mentioned before, if Micah has said it, there's a real good chance it's going to happen. I need to, to avoid this as much as possible. But uh, he has enough fear to change his behavior a little bit, but he doesn't have enough fear to really trust in God. And, and like That's you right. mentioned before, 
what is Jehoshaphat doing? We, we talk about Ahab rejecting Micaiah's counsel here. Jehoshaphat rejects it too. He goes to battle. He didn't have to do that. His alliance is more important than his faith in this situation. And and again, it, it goes okay, I suppose, for Jehoshaphat. But, but God knows how to find his enemies you know, with random arrows or, or rocks or whatever it happens to be. That's right. It's always been true. Well, uh, we're, our time is uh, running a little bit, uh, a little bit long, uh, a little bit running out of time. Is what I'm trying to say, uh, very, very <laughs> poorly. Uh, is there one word that really jumps out at you that you'd like to focus on? One word for Second Chronicles. I don't know. Um, one word is very few to choose. I, you know, I preach for a living, so. Um, I, I, to, to me, it, it's it's faith, faithfulness, not because it was shown or highlighted here, but because faith is required. I, it, it's, it's an important word. I, and I would start with Solomon, you know, when he began uh, and the queen comes to see him, she says that even the half has not been told to me. Uh, he is blessed. He trusts in the Lord. He goes to God in prayer, asks for wisdom above all things. Um, and, and so we see that whether a king or an individual is faithful uh, reflects the rest of their life and how it plays out in faith. Yeah, it's just huge. I, I hate to I hate to leave that word. <laughs> well, it's a great word. And, and not just for this section, of course, but but that's what ultimately determines a person standing before God. If, if we can just overgeneralize a little bit and the the nature of faith working in these kings is really interesting. We've already touched on this a little bit with regard to good kings gone bad. This is this has always been a head scratcher for me. What's the matter with Asa? What's the matter with Joash? What's the matter with Uzziah and and uh, Amaziah and probably some others? Well, Solomon maybe the best example of all. People mm-hmm. who are on the right track. They are approved of God, and you know, maybe it's 35 years of peacetime and Ahaz, uh, Asa's time. He just, he gets drunk with it and he, he decides he, he panics when the peace is going to depart from him or, or too much of a good thing with Solomon or whatever it happens to be. People leave the faith. And yeah. after having the faith been so wonderful to them, that was not English there, but you, you know what I mean. The <laughs> God is so good to us. And then after 20 years, 30 years, I can't help thinking maybe there's some kind of strain of, of mental illness that's running through this family. God will be the judge of us all in, in these, and he's certainly be the judge of Joash and, and Asa and these others. You, you can't help wondering why is it that you couldn't stick it out to the end? Right. The ones that we typically call good kings. And Manasseh is the opposite of that because we would almost universally call him a bad king, and yet he turns it around in a positive way. And, yes. And, Kings didn't mention that. Second Chronicles does. Bad kings can can make things right. I'm not sure exactly how many other examples of that there are out there, but but Manasseh's clearly one. It doesn't have to stay this way. You can find faith late in life, just like you can lose faith late in life. And uh, and I, I I have I've tried in recent years to get away from the the second grade Bible study paradigm of good king bad king, you know because. Mm. They all have their good aspects, and they certainly all have their bad aspects. We would want to describe David as a good king. David did some horrific things. 
obviously, That's right. in his life. Uh, we all need God's grace. Uh, through all of this. And, and if, if uh, Uzziah makes it to heaven, that's great. I'd be glad to have a conversation with him. And, and, uh, but, uh, and if Manasseh makes it, that'd be an interesting conversation too. But yeah. we, we have to have the faith and we have to build the faith and we have to maintain that faith. Yes, sir. That's, that's absolutely the heart of it all. Um, something I'm, 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 I'm just like you, these are men and they're highlighted for us in scripture because they sit on the throne. But Moses warned the people before they entered the land. He said, you know, when, when you come into the land and you take this land, uh, you're going to get fat and you're going to be happy and you're going to leave the Lord. Don't do that. And so when, when you look at a king who is in a position of power, authority, he, he has everything the country can offer because he is the king. So he's kind of he's raced to that place where, where you're fat and happy and you're in charge. And so the tendency for men is to leave the Lord. So I, with, with that in my mind, these men who were faithful to God as king, I, that's highlighted to me because they're working contrary to the very spell that we we all fall under. And I think the warning for us as Americans is real. Uh, we have got to be focused and dedicated and to, to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to see if we're actually in the faith. Uh, knowing Bible verses doesn't save you. Yeah. It is living. It's living them out that that you that gives you the confirmation that oh, I am in the faith. I am doing what I'm supposed to do. So, um, I'm with you. I I have some compassion with these men because of the position they're put in. Could be a mental illness, as you pointed out. <laughs> that that would be a contributing factor. Uh, I and going back to the verse you mentioned before about about accepting bribes and and that sort of thing in in places of power. It's it's so easy for a person of prominence, uh, regardless of culture, certainly we see it in our culture though, uh, to subvert the cause of justice, deliberately, sideways, whatever, but ultimately for personal gain. Whether it's That's a right. judge taking an actual bribe, like parallel to what we have here, or whether it's a, a, a congressman or a president or whatever being corrupted because of political influencers and, and big money in government and all that, that sort of thing. There, there's always that opportunity to do the wrong thing or, or at least avoid doing the right thing as you may morally or even spiritually think the right thing is because it pays off in the short term. And and it goes back to the faith idea. Are, are you going to trust in God to take care of you? Or are you going to trust in God to take care of society? Uh, are we going to hold this moral line or are we going to, to give up? Are we going to trust in ourselves? Just one king after another that we've read here in Second in Chronicles trusted in himself instead of trusting in God. Certainly Second Kings, First Kings, uh, the same sort of thing. Trusting in God, especially when things go bad. We're going to come back to Hezekiah when we get to Isaiah, but Hezekiah is a great example of this. He trusts in God. It's wrong to be allied with the Assyrians. I'm going to break this yoke. We're going to go off on our own. We're going to trust in God. And he does it. And things immediately get much, much worse than they ever were. Things start <laughs> going completely disastrous. And and he appeals to the people, trust in me. And they, they wind up trusting in Hezekiah. And, and it looks like not only is he rejecting the Assyrians, According to the Rabshika, he's, he's rejecting God. He broke all these high places. He's disrupting your form of worship. No wonder your God's angry at you. But he has yes. enough faith, at least in that moment, to, to hold the line, to, to maintain his faith, to lay his problems out before the Lord and, and believe that doing the right thing is, is the best thing. 
even when it looks like a disaster. That's right. And we, and every one of us have a temptation to, there's always something there. I, I, I should accept this now. I should do it the wrong way today because then I can, whatever, fill in the blank. I can pay for my child's college education. And so it's justified, you know, it's no, it's still wrong. And, and when you look at it through the lens of spiritual, what God has given to us, uh, like you said, many times things get worse. Your kid may not even go to college, mm-hmm. but is, is what well, the question is, is it wrong or is it right? And so that, that, that moral guide that we have readily available to us, um, it's just cr- crucial. Yeah. Josiah dies that way. You know, he, he thinks it's the right thing to stand in the way of the Egyptians going off and helping the Assyrians. Nobody helps the Assyrians on my watch. He doesn't have to get involved in that battle. And, and, you could argue that he's meddling. You could argue that he's asking for trouble or whatever. I personally think that maybe this is God's way of getting Josiah out of the way before all, before everything completely craters. That's you know, you're, there's there's a better thing for you that I haven't planned here. I'm, I'm going to take you out of the way and let this whole thing fall apart without you having sure. to watch it. But uh, he 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 sees in his mind anyway. This is the right fight, and if it if I go out there and and oppose this huge army and, and it goes poorly if I get killed, whatever. Uh, it's uh, You'd like to think it doesn't go that way, but sometimes it does. But that's, again, the yes, great sir. thing about faith. We're not living for this life anyway. That's right. Amen. Well, Danny, this has been great. Thank you for joining in. I appreciate your time and your diligence and your good work. I uh, appreciate the uh, Narrow Way guys for their uh, intro, outro music. Uh, if you haven't checked out NarrowWay.com, uh, please do so. Jerry Tesh and his guys do a great job. If you haven't got the quarter material for the second quarter, reach out to me at halhammonds uh, at gmail.com. We'll send you a copy of quarter two. We'll start with Ezra, Lord willing, on Friday. Uh, Until then, thank you very much for being here and read your Bible.